0: With me, please, to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, reading from verse 25. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Nor give place to the devil. Particularly verse 27. Nor give place to the devil. In almost all of our margins in our Bibles, the word place here is translated opportunity. Nor give opportunity to the devil. And while that is undoubtedly true, the word that Paul uses here for place is topos, T-O-P-O-S, which means ground, territory, and particularly a specific area of territory or ground. That's where we get the word topography from, uh, which means territory or land. Philip translates it this way, don't give the devil that sort of foothold. The NIV similarly says, and do not give the devil a foothold. The Amplified says, believe no such room or foothold for the devil, give no opportunity to him. I think that we need to stop just and recognize it that, that our life, the life of the believer, is a territory in which Satan has no legal jurisdiction. Amen? No legal jurisdiction. We are Christ's territory. We are His place. We are His inheritance, not the devils, but Christ. Ephesians 1:18 speaks of what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. When Jesus went to that cross, shed His blood and died, He bought us. He redeemed us. He owns us. We belong to Him. We do not belong to the devil, thank God. Therefore, He has no legal authority over us. We are the place where God's Spirit dwells on the earth. Our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Acts seventeen, twenty four, the Lord of heaven and earth dwells not in temples made with hands. He dwells by His Spirit in us. I think this is one of the reasons why the devil gets so mad at believers, because you are the only place on earth, the only territory of which he no longer has any jurisdiction, because we belong to the Lord. So he cannot automatically control us. If he could, he would. There was a time he did, even though we were quite unaware of it for the most part, but he can no longer automatically control us. You remember that in the book of Job chapter 1, how that Satan needed permission, actual permission from God in the Old Testament even to attack Job, it says in Job 1.6, now there was a day when the sons of God or when the angels came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came with them and the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro in the earth and from walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and an upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch forth your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. And so there was a limitation, even in God's permission to come against Job, there was a limitation. And so Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. And you know what happened then on through that chapter, how that the Sabaeans and the Chaldeans came and they took away his flocks and his herds and his camels and his donkeys and his sheep and killed his servants with the sword. And then how after he got that news, how that his sons and daughters who were feasting in the eldest son house for the birthday party, how that the Satan caused a great wind, a great storm to come and blew the house down, and all of his children were killed in one fell swoop. What a disaster. But verse chapter two, verse one, again there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came along among them to present himself before the Lord. The Lord said to Satan, "'From where do you come?' Satan answered the Lord and said, "'From going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it.' Then the Lord said to Satan, "'Have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil, and still he holds fast to his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without a cause.'" So Satan answered and said, Skin for skin. Yes, all that a man has he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand, but spare his life. Again, the limitation. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with painful boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. He took for himself a pot shred with which to scrape himself, and he sat in the midst of the ashes. And his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. He said, You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God, and shall we not accept adversity? And all this Job did not sin with his lips. So we see that in that Old Testament situation, how that even Satan had to get permission from God to attack one of his servants. We see uh, about Peter in the New Testament that Jesus said to Peter, Peter, Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith does not fail. Peter, I'm not going to spare you from this and I want to pray that your faith will overcome and conquer even through all of this. You'll come out the other side at the end of it, your faith still intact. And that's exactly what happened. It is true that Satan is the god of this world, 2 Corinthians 4 and 4. The spirit that now works in the children of disobedience, the lawless one, the one who deceives the whole world. Bible says whole world lies in wickedness, 1 John 4.19. But you are God's high ground. You're God's city that is set on a hill that cannot be hid. You're God's salt. You're God's light in this dark and corrupt world. Thank God for that. However, however, there is a way in which the enemy can trespass on God's property. Can't control it. Doesn't own it but he can trespass on God's property. We can actually give place to the devil. That's why Paul says, neither give place to the devil. Do not give him a foothold, not an inch of territory, in other words. But we can. That's why Paul warned against that. Adam and Eve is the classic example, isn't it? God gave them a territory. He gave them a place, a great place. He put them in charge. He gave them dominion over everything. Anything and everything that was to do with that place, they were to have dominion over that. Even that serpent who crept in there, they were to take charge of that situation, but they didn't. And Adam didn't. He had dominion full authority and he didn't take it. And what happened? Eve was deceived and Adam fell in sin. And the whole world has suffered the consequences ever since. How do we give place to the devil? First of all, by wrong thinking. You, your mind is the field in which Satan wants to sow his tares. Your mind is the river that he wants to pollute. How we think is so important. The thinking, the mindset, this worldview of this age is by and large governed by the evil one. Paul said the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. James backs that up. He says, this wisdom is not from above, but earthly, sensual, devilish. Every system, every avenue that this world has got to influence our minds against the mind of God is increasing rapidly. We all know the media in particular is no friend of God, It's no friend of the Word of God. It's no friend of the Scripture. It's no friend of the church. It's no friend of believers. And its influence permeates society, pervades society, and before we know it, we're thinking the way the world thinks. Amen? It's so easy to slip into that mindset because it's all around us. It bombards us then daily. That's why we need to be into the Word of God Continually. How else are we going to counteract that bombardment except through the Word of God? No wonder John said, Do not love the world nor the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul said in verse 3, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. By the way, tonight I want to speak about pulling down strongholds. That's what the message is going to be about tonight. For those of you who are really concerned about the World Cup final tonight, all right, I promise you, you will be home in good time, all right? So you get the best of both worlds. You'll get the Word of God, you'll get a good meeting, and you'll get to see the World Cup because some of you wouldn't live if you didn't see that World Cup tonight, all right? And you'd blame me forever for that. So you're going to get it, God willing. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing into every thought, into captivity, to the obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. It's important, I think, for us also to understand that All of our thoughts, how we think, how we form our thoughts, comes from basically three or four sources. Either through what others think or how we think, generally because of how others think, or what God's saying or what the devil's saying. So almost... All, in fact all of our thought life is formed by those things. Let me just show you that in Scripture here. Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, reading from verse 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. I can imagine Jesus standing with His disciples, if they can use the vernacular, saying, Fellas, I want to ask you something. You're out there in the marketplace. You've got your ear to the ground. You know what the talk is about me. Tell me what are men saying about me. Who do they say that I really am? And so they gave their opinion based on what they heard from others. Many of our opinions, most of our opinions are formulated by what we hear from others, from our parents upwards, to our school teachers, to our lecturers, to our bosses and instructors. We hear others, and oftentimes we formulate our opinions, and there's nothing necessarily wrong with that, but that's just the way the things work. We're taught by others. So who do men say that I am? John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. But he said, Who do you say that I am? What do you really think? This is what you say others are thinking, but I want to know, what are you thinking? All of us will have our own thoughts. Many of them will be based on what we've heard or what we have seen or what we've been taught. But all of us will formulate our own thoughts. Some more than others. Some will be more original thinkers than others. But we all have our own thoughts. And so Jesus it? He says, okay, that's what you've told me. Now, I want to know, what do you think? Who do you think that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Peter, that was the right answer. But it wasn't actually you that thought it. He didn't hear that from men. And actually, you didn't even think that yourself. This is a revelation from the Father, straight into your heart and mind. Isn't it wonderful, through reading the Word of God, that the Father can speak right into our hearts, right into our minds, and give us sometimes a rhema word, a now word. This is what God has said, but sometimes when God speaks by His Spirit and heart, it's what God is saying at that moment to us that relates to us or what we may be going through. How often have you been reading the Word of God and you've maybe read things umpteen times in the same chapter over and over again and suddenly, suddenly it becomes alive to you and it's as if you've only read it for the first time. Suddenly you see it and you understand it and it means something personal to you. Not because the preacher preached it, but because you got it, because you were seeking the Lord, you were praying, and the Father just by the Holy Spirit just dropped a word right into your heart. That's the best type of thinking that we can get as believers. Yes, we need to hear preaching. Yes, it's good to have our devotions and our studies and our study manuals and our study devotional books. All of that's wonderful. It helps us. It aids us. But there's nothing... So good is that moment when suddenly that word leaps out at you and it's real to you at that moment and you claim it, it's mine. I got that. I've been praying and seeking the Lord and the Father has spoken this to me through His Spirit and it's real to me. That's the best, isn't it? And so our thoughts often come through what we know from others, ourselves, what the Father send by His Spirit, but then go further. And so I say to you that you're Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded the disciples that they should not tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. And from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed and be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Can you imagine? (laughs) Can you imagine rebuking the Son of God? And saying, be it far from you, Lord, that this this shall not happen to you. Now, he meant well. His heart was for the Lord. He didn't want him to suffer. And anyway, this is the Messiah. How could the Messiah suffer? This just did not compute in his brain. But he turned to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of man. At that moment, although Peter didn't know it, at that moment, just as he had got that word from the Father dropped into his heart, at this very moment, Satan has implanted that thought in him against the Lord. Same man. Within moments happening, the two events happened. The enemy is a deceiver and he's crafty. And even though Peter meant it for good and even though his intention was good but it was completely and utterly wrong he just didn't see the big picture. He didn't get it. He couldn't compute that in his mind how the Messiah could suffer and die. just didn't get that. But Jesus said that his thoughts were of the evil one and he rebuked him for it. So we need the mind of Christ, don't we? God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Sound mind here means good judgment, safe thinking, disciplined thought patterns, ability to make the right decisions. Boy, do we need that, don't we? The ability to make the right decisions. Our lives' journey is often shaped by our decisions. And the more right decisions we get, the better it will be for us. We've all made terrible decisions. I've made bad decisions. We've all done that. But the more right decisions we make, the better it goes, isn't it? So we need the mind of Christ. We must think on divine things. Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. How good is that? Finally, brethren, verse 8, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Glory to God. Verse 6, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. We need the mind of Christ. We need to be thinking on divine things. Now, I don't know about you, but often when I go to pray, my mind wanders. You're looking at me very religious looking. I suspect you're the same. It's amazing how you can just be thinking about nothing till you go to pray and suddenly everything just crowds in. I gotta make that phone call. I've got to do this, I've got to do that, I've got to do the other. You weren't thinking that five minutes ago, but as soon as you go to pray, all these thoughts come in. And sometimes it's hard to, to channel those thoughts or corral those thoughts or put those thoughts to the side, isn't it? Because they keep wanting to knock on the door of your head to get in and bother you. But we need to be able to do that. We need to be able to Think on divine things. Find godly things, good things, scriptural things, biblical things, things that we can focus on. Now, we can't do that 24-7. We know that. But it's lovely. Even if you're driving along the road, it's nice to be able to think of good things and divine things and holy things. And it helps our whole thought processes. We must be renewed in our minds. In Romans 12, 1 and 2. To be renewed in our minds. Our minds get flooded with stuff every day, don't they? So we need to renew our minds. How do we renew our minds? Think on good things. Think on godly things. Think on the Word of God. Renew our minds. Cleanse our minds. Wash out our minds. The old former Archbishop of Canterbury, Rowan Williams, recently said that, which I'm not surprised, that before he prays, he says he's got a great respect for Buddha, so that tells you all you need to know. So before he prays, he says he spends an hour in meditation, emptying his mind. Well, the Bible never tells us to empty our mind, it tells us to fill our mind, renew our mind with the Word of God and the things of God. That'll help us pray better than sitting for an hour trying to empty your mind. I mean, oh, I better not talk. I got angry if I talk more about that. Of course, he was a druid, so maybe that's where he got that nonsense from too. I don't know, but we're not to empty our minds. We're to fill our minds with the Word of God. Whatever things are good and lovely, if there's a good report, if there's any virtue in them, think on these things. Fill our minds with these things. Second Corinthians 10, verses 3 to 5. Don't turn to it. Let me just mention this and we'll go on more tonight. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God. For pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments. That's imaginations and reasonings. The world is full of imaginations and reasonings. I mean, they can just reason out everything. You can reason away God, you can reason away biblical things, you can reason away creation, you can reason away everything and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, Bring in every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Someone has said that a stronghold is a house built by thoughts. A stronghold is a house built by thoughts. The thoughts are the bricks that build the fortress in our minds. Thoughts construct images, perceptions, misconceptions, preconceptions. Thoughts build towers of fear, of worry, anxiety, and dread. Thoughts erect walls of suspicion and doubt. This is what thoughts do. Thoughts raise up houses of despair and hopelessness and defeat. It has been said that we are not what we think we are, but what we think we are. We're not what we think we are, but what we think we are. Proverbs 27, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So no question about it, thoughts control much of our life. So we've got to choose what we're going to think. We're going to have to choose how we think. By wrong thoughts, we can build up all kinds of strongholds. First Samuel, Samuel 15 and 17, the great king Saul God is finished with him. Uh, he's no longer going to be king. Uh, he has messed about too much. And Samuel has to go to him and talk and tell him. And Samuel says, When you were young, you were little in your own sight. And God made you a king in Israel. Actually, physically, he was head and shoulders above everybody in Israel. He was a great, big, tall, handsome man. He looked every inch a regal king. But as soon as he became king, by the way, whenever it came the time to, to bless him and not and be king, he actually ran and he hid himself. He was a humble man when he started out, but he became such a proud man in the end that God had to leave him aside and take the kingdom off him. And Samuel says, when you're little in your own eyes, God made you a king in Israel. But look at you now. Puffed up with pride. Remember Naaman? Whenever the prophet sent his young assistant out and said to Naaman, the prophet said, go wash in the Jordan seven times and you'll be cleansed. (laughs) And he was livid, wasn't he? He went berserk. I mean, here is the second in command of the king's army of Syria. He's a great noble man, a great warrior. And this wee fella comes out and says, by the way, the prophet says, just go and wash. Just go and wash in the Jordan. You'll be okay. (laughs) That was not what he wanted. He thought he'd come out and wave his hand over him, he said, because he had a big ego. He was a proud man. But, of course, in the end, he had to humble himself. And he went down, and God delivered him and cleansed him, and he humbled himself. I remember one time, it was a, it was a Hillsborough Bible Week year, several years ago, and it was, it was between services anyway. I remember walking up the, the middle aisle, and a lady came out from one of the seats, and I know this woman or her husband, and they've got lovely ministry, great people, but I don't know them intimately. I know of them and know about them, and we always speak when we meet each other, but I'm not with them. and haven't seen them for years, actually. So she stepped out. I don't know why she said this, she stepped out and she stopped me in the tracks and she looked at me. In all seriousness, she looked at me and says, David, you're a very humble man. Now, what do you do when somebody tells you that? Do you say, Yes, I am. Glad you noticed. <laughs> my wife thinks I am too. I mean, what do you say? Even if you say thank you, I mean, it's okay. I'm right. sorry. Or do you, do you say, excuse me, could you say that again? But, walking on, I thought, oh, she thinks I'm humble. Ah, oh, that's nice. And within seconds, you can be proud of your humility. It's so subtle, isn't it? It really is. Just, you can just be so proud of your humility. and it can become a stronghold. Fear became a stronghold for a while with David because Saul wanted to kill him and tried to kill him. In 1 Samuel 27 and 1, he said, I know that one day I shall perish by the hand of Saul. And he felt justified in saying that because Saul had literally tried to kill him on a couple of occasions. So it wasn't his imagining something, but that thought got into his heart. And for a while, for a while, he carried that thought. One day Saul will kill me. One day I shall perish by the hand of Saul. Jealousy can become a stronghold. Saul's jealousy of David knew no bounds. From that moment when the young woman sang that Saul had slain his thousands, but David his ten thousands, the Bible says that Saul eyed David from that day forward. That thought got into his heart and jealousy rose up. And he never could let it go. He just couldn't let that thought go. And it drove him to try to kill David. David. And he ended up he lost his whole kingship. Give no place to the devil. Finish just with this thought. The context that Paul spoke this. He says, Be angry and do not sin as long as we're angry for righteousness sake, when you see some of the things that are said and done against God and His kingdom, and you're angry at that, that's okay. But not just being angry for the sake of being angry, not just because we've got a short fuse. Be angry and do not sin, do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Anger can be a stronghold in your life if you're not careful. The book of Proverbs says that an angry man is like a castle without bars, like a city without walls. In other words, your defenses all come down and the enemy can come in. Be careful to control your anger. Make sure if you're going to be angry, it's going to be at the right thing for the right reason. Otherwise, if it continues, it becomes a stronghold in your heart. And you'll find you'll get angry very easily at very little. Your fuse will get shorter and shorter and shorter. Neither, Paul says, give place to the devil. Not a foothold. Not an inch. And it means that we have to be on constant vigilance. I do. You do. We all do. Constantly vigilant in how we think. Because how we think will end up how we act. Our thoughts will turn into actions, won't they? Eventually. So we need to be careful. Neither give place to the devil. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have given us weapons, spiritual weapons, that we may fight the evil one not only that, that we may overcome, that we are conquerors through Christ who loved us and gave himself for us. And so we give you thanks today. You have not left us defenseless, but Lord, you have equipped us and given us everything that we need to overcome in the name of Jesus. And so we bless you and we give you thanks for this, Lord. Help us, Lord, to study your word, to know your word to speak your word, to think your word. Lord, that our minds is not filled, Lord, with the mindset of this world, but Lord, that we have your thoughts. So we give you thanks for this in Christ's precious and mighty and powerful name. And all God's people say it. Amen. Amen.